Hello and welcome to the Northgate Podcast, where we aim to bring people closer to Christ, build them up, and empower them to go out into the world and make a positive impact. With our inspiring content and engaging discussions, this podcast serves as a beacon of hope and spiritual growth for all its listeners. The purpose of the Northgate Podcast can be summed up by our mission to bring people to Christ, build them up in that relationship, and send them out. This motto encapsulates our dedication to help individuals discover the transformative power of Christ's love, nurture their faith, and develop a strong foundation in their spiritual journey. Now here is today's message. All right, good morning. And don't you love being in the church at Christmas? I I love this season. I know everyone doesn't. But I do. And uh, man, as Pastor Burns, we had an awesome time of Vintage Christmas this weekend. And now we're carrying into our Advent series. You know from the candles, we're in week two of our Advent series, which means two weeks until Christmas Eve. Now, I was thinking about the Advent series we've done over the years. This is my 13th Advent series at Northgate. And so, you know, you start to, it's kind of the same story every time. And you start to say, hey, how can we do this in a way we haven't done this? And I was going through the list in my mind. We've done a series on the classic hymns of Christmas and the theology in them. We did a series on more modern Christmas songs and some of the biblical lessons we can pull out of those. We did the Advent Conspiracy series. Uh, Some of you are familiar with that. We did a Who series, the characters of the Christmas story, Mary, Joseph, Jesus. I remember preaching about Herod and the shepherds. Uh, I think every time there's a what, hopefully you pick that up, even in the the songs, the what of Christmas is Emmanuel, that God is with us, that God came to earth to be with us. We did a where series. It was called Road Trip. I can still picture the graphic. We, We talked about Bethlehem and Jerusalem and Egypt and Nazareth and then our place the different places that Christmas has taken place. In my time here, though, so we've done the who, what, and where. In my time here, we've never done a series on the when of Christmas. I don't know if we can get an entire series out of the timing of Christmas, but somebody just jot that down as a possibility for next year. And I also, I don't think we've ever done a full series on the why of Christmas. Yes, now in every one of the series, we've taught about Jesus coming to earth, to Bethlehem as a baby, and how he was fully God, and he was born as just a regular human like you and me. But why? Why did he do that? Why did Jesus come to earth at all? And what better way to try and understand that than by looking at Jesus' own words? Here's what I mean. Throughout scripture, Jesus begins different thoughts and sentences with the words, I came to blank. And there's a lot of them. It'd be a good thing for you to look and study this week, to read up on some of those. Last week, Pastor Vern told you that Jesus said he came to be a light to a dark world. In other places, Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. He says, I've not come to abolish the law and prophets, but to fulfill them. I have not come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus said, I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And he said, I've come to seek and save the lost. And that's where I want to land this morning and look at that idea of seek and save. Because Jesus' time here on earth as a baby and then as a boy and then as a teenager and as a man was inherently a search and rescue mission. 
Now, I'm not uh, too familiar with search and rescue missions. Some of you certainly are much more familiar, but you know, I can read. And so I was reading about those this week and I thought it was interesting because they have very clear objectives. If you're a part of a search and rescue mission, your job is to locate the person or people, right? Stabilize them, get them into a, a state where they can then be moved and then extract them, right? Locate, stabilize, and extract. And I was thinking about Jesus as a search and rescue mission because it starts by locating us, right? Jesus finds us. He found you to a degree. Some of you, he found you a long time ago. Some of you, he's finding you right now and you don't even know it yet. He stabilizes us. The love of Jesus, it changes us here on earth, right? It's not, okay, as soon as I find the love of Jesus, I go to heaven. No, he stabilizes us. He changes us here on earth. And eventually there is an extraction. The love of Jesus, if our life is given fully to him, will eventually take us from this earth to a new eternal destination. Locate, stabilize, extract. Similar to bring, build, and send, actually. I don't think we're gonna change that because it looks really good on the wall out there, but locate, stabilize, and extract. That's why Jesus came to earth. He came on a rescue mission to seek and save the lost. So here's the main point today. It's a reminder for all of us here that we're gonna spend some time unpacking this morning. Jesus came to earth to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. Now I will show you where I get the wording for that in a little bit. I'm not in the habit of using the word coddle, but you'll see it. But we need to keep this in front of us at all times. I mean, all churches need to keep that in front of them. I'm only responsible for one. And, and the reason is that we need to keep it in front of us is if we don't stay focused on this, we will end up somewhere that we really don't want to be or that we didn't intend to be. And Andy Stanley, one of my favorite pastors to listen to and to read, he says this, the gravitational pull of the local church is always towards the insiders. If you've ever driven a car with bad alignment, if you've driven a car with bad alignment, you know about the drift, right? How it will pull, it's always pulling one way, it's always pulling off to the right, and you gotta steer back, you gotta steer left, you gotta steer left to keep it from going that natural direction. Well, that's what Andy Stanley says about the church. We will drift towards the insiders. You know, when you take your hands off the wheel, you'll find that out. I don't know, I'm not doing it in a dangerous way, but when I take my hands off the wheel, my kids lose their mind. They think the car's like immediately just gonna take like a hard right. They're like, dad, put your hands on the wheel. I'm like, it's fine. Now I have a newer car and it actually, it will yell at me and I don't enjoy that. I don't like things that I paid for scolding me. So then I put my hands back on the wheel. But if you're driving and you do that, right? You take your hands off the wheel or you lose focus. There's a drift, there's a place that it will go. And for churches, when we take our hands off the wheel, when we don't focus, where we need to focus, the drift will be towards insiders. We will inevitably drift towards the comfort and the preferences of the people who are already here. And that's why churches in the United States are closing at an alarming rate. They became too inwardly focused and they did it for long enough, caring so little about people who weren't yet a part of the church, either intentionally or unintentionally. And eventually they looked up and they realized no one was left or so few people were left that the church was no longer viable. Because far too easily and far too often, church devolves into how do we keep the people who are tithing and paying the bills happy? If we do something different, will they complain? What are their favorite songs? What messages would they want to hear? As if Jesus said, I came to make sure the already found are comfortable and happy, and not I came to seek and save the lost. And there are endless places 
that we could go to in the Gospels, the four books about Jesus' life when he was here on earth, where those are documented. There's endless places we could go to learn about this. But let's start here. We're gonna start where the phrase seek and save the lost came from, and that is Luke chapter 19. It's a story about Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector. Now, if you grew up in church like I did, you probably grew up singing a song about Zacchaeus, and you know a relatively unimportant thing about him, that he was short. I think Zacchaeus, he's probably on the list of people that is gonna be really upset when we get to heaven and like we only know one thing about them really from scripture. Or you're gonna be like, oh man, you're the woman at the well. She'd be like, my name's Beth, okay? Like, just call me Beth, please. And we'd be like, Zacchaeus, well, you really are a wee little man. He's gonna be like, all right, like, let's go, right? There's no fighting in heaven, but I don't know. Zacchaeus might swing on somebody at some point. You sing that song to him and he's not gonna like it. So in the passage, in Luke 19, Jesus, he's passing through Jericho. And a man named Zacchaeus, he was there as he's passing by. And Zacchaeus is a tax collector. But he's not just a regular old tax collector. That would have been bad enough. He is the chief tax collector. He's like the most tax collectory of all the tax collectors. And because of that, he was rich. My guy's loaded, but he got loaded off of making money from his people's taxes. We've covered this before, but it's probably worth mentioning again. Tax collectors had a certain amount of money that they needed to collect from Rome. But whatever they got on top of that was theirs to keep. When the tax collectors came to John the Baptist and they asked him how they could get right with God, what he told them was, easy, don't collect any more than you have to. So if someone was a rich tax collector, that meant you were really good at cleaning other people out for your own personal benefit. You got rich on their backs. So you know, he's probably not the most loved guy. His approval rating is hovering somewhere around 0%. But he hears that Jesus is passing through and he wants to see who Jesus is. He wants to see what the buzz is all about. And as verse three so directly tells us, he was short and he couldn't see over the crowd. And so his plan is to run ahead and he sees a tree there and he's gonna climb up in the tree so that he can see Jesus for himself. And he does that. And Jesus continues on and eventually he reaches the spot and he looks up and he calls this man out by name and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I must stay at your house today. And so Zacchaeus does the only thing he can really do in this situation. He comes down and goes with Jesus to his house, right? Okay, man, let's go. What else are you supposed to say to that? And verse seven, it gives us an insight on how people act and react sometimes when our focus is on the loss instead of on them. 19 verse seven, all the people saw this and began to mutter. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Right, they see, like, do you see this, right? They immediately start gossiping and complaining to each other, like, chat, are you seeing this? He's going to his house? He's gonna spend time with him? Do you think he even knows what a jerk this guy is? Do you think he knows his house is so big because he took our money? Again, that's the natural gravitational pull. It's towards insiders. It's away from outsiders. But Jesus, he just keeps steering the car back the other way. And Zacchaeus, based on his encounter with Jesus, is changed. Verse eight tells us, this man, this hated tax collector, the sinner, he stands up and he says to Jesus, Lord, look, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. 
Last week, the message said that Jesus came to be a light in a dark world. Well, Zacchaeus, he's encountered that light. He's seen that light, and it's shown him some things that were hidden in the darkness that he doesn't really like about himself. Things that he knew were wrong on some level, but he needed an encounter with the holy God to really properly see and identify it in himself and to want to change. And what does Jesus say? In verses 9 and 10, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus said, Zacchaeus, you've repented of your sins. You've turned in a new direction. Because of your encounter with me, you are now a new and different person. And Jesus says, this is why I came to earth. This is my whole purpose in being here. People like this sin-filled, selfish tax collector turning and going a new direction and changing their eternal destiny. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And when we read these gospel accounts of the life of Jesus, what we see time and time again is that the religious people were not the focus of Jesus' attention. In fact, most of the attention that Jesus gave to religious people was when he was correcting them for not understanding where his focus was. If you are somebody who is an insider, you've given your life to Jesus, maybe you've been in church for a while, when we read the gospel accounts, we would be, they would be best understood by putting ourselves in the place of the Pharisees. Right? I mean, we read about the woman caught in adultery and we're like, oh man, are we the woman? Am I Jesus telling everyone to put the stones down? We're the Pharisees holding the stones. Now, I'm not calling all of us Pharisees. I'm just saying if we're looking for documented accounts of how Jesus treated religious insiders, this is what we have. And most of the attention that he gave them was in the form of correction. It was him saying, you guys don't get it. How do you not get it? How do you not see who I am and who I really came for? Because sometimes we think if Jesus was here today, he'd probably come in the church and he'd pat us on the back. He'd say, you guys are doing great. Look, this looks great. All right, keep up the good work, everyone. I'm on to the next place. And I don't think we'd receive a failing grade or anything. I think we're doing a lot of things well and we're trying to keep our focus where it needs to be. But let's be honest, the last time that Jesus was here on earth, he didn't just walk around patting all the religious insiders on the back and saying, great job, guys. And what we often forget or fail to understand, something that religious insiders have gotten wrong for centuries, is that the heart of Jesus is always towards the people who are broken and struggling. This is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus came for. If you're broken and you're struggling today, if you feel that, I know it's not where you want to be, but you have one really great thing going for you. The heart of Jesus is always towards people who are broken and struggling. He sees you and he loves you and his desire is for you to draw closer to him through this than you ever have before. He didn't go through all that he went through just to pat the religious people on the back and say, keep up the good work, pal. In another place, we see the true picture of the heart of Jesus is when he's forming his team, right? He's got this inner circle. These people are gonna travel with him his entire ministry. They're gonna be known as his disciples. And did he gather the most educated and disciplined religious scholars of the day? Definitely not. He put together the most unlikely, underrated, uneducated group of sinners and broken people that he could find, including this guy, Matthew. 
Matthew 9, 9 through 13, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. It's another one. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And I love how Eugene Peterson in the message, how he translates this last verse, go and figure out what this scripture means. I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. Another tax collector, it's almost like Jesus is trying really hard to make something clear to us and to the religious people of that day that no one was outside of his love and his grace. And what's the invitation that Jesus gives to this tax collector? He says, follow me, right? He doesn't say, okay, Matthew, listen up, ma'am. I got some big plans for you. We're actually thinking about having you write one of the pivotal four major firsthand accounts of my life. People are gonna read it and they're gonna study it for the rest of the time. So you need to get your act together, all right? That's not what he says. What does he say? He just says, follow me. Jesus didn't tell him, you better quit your job and find some new friends, Matthew. In time, by following Jesus, those two things happened, but that wasn't the expectation that Jesus put on him right out of the gate. And this is not unique to this particular verse or situation or encounter. Jesus said it all the time. That was the invitation that Jesus gave to follow him. And maybe that doesn't sound profound to you, but don't miss that the invitation was to follow him, not to become immediately like him. He didn't say, hey, listen, here's a bunch of things you're gonna have to change about yourself and then you can start to follow me. And we see it over and over with guys like Zacchaeus and Matthew that Jesus called people to follow him, not to immediately become like him. So what do you invite people to? The invitation of Jesus is follow me. Do you invite them to seek and follow Jesus? Or do you give people a list of rules that they feel like they could never follow. But if I knew some of the things that God would ask of me in the 24 years of trying to rock, walk with him, I might have never started the walk. I'd like to think that I would, but I also would have been a little bit scared off. So don't expect someone to be perfect before they even start following Jesus. I mean, shoot, look around. Don't expect people to be perfect after that either, right? I didn't, none of the perfect people are here today. It's just us. Okay. So just invite people to begin to follow Jesus. Invite people to begin a relationship with him. It's about making a decision to begin following and then seeing where it goes, letting Jesus shine that light on our lives. It's about not complicating the invitation of Jesus. And that should be natural to the church. That should be who we are at the core because it's actually who the church decided to be in its really early years. Now in Acts 15, it's labeled as the Council at Jerusalem. It is the first big contentious church meeting. There are many things I love about Northgate. One of them is we don't have big contentious church meetings. I, don't, I just don't think it's in the heart of people here. We've got other stuff to do. We're not too worried about that. But this is the first one. And it comes at a time when the church is growing rapidly. And God is using the Apostle Paul to reach Gentiles, which was a mind-blowing development for the Jews. Because prior to that, 
being Jewish was the first step to becoming a Christ follower. First you were Jewish, then you uncovered this second step that Jesus was the Messiah. You couldn't just skip over the Jewish part and go right to the Christ follower part. And so this became a problem in the early church. There were people out there teaching, you gotta do the whole thing. You gotta become completely Jewish, live by the laws and the customs that Moses taught, including getting circumcised. And for some people, that was kind of a deal breaker. They're like, okay, 613 laws and commandments. That is a lot. Okay, all right, got it. What else? No bacon. That's tough, right? No bacon. And you want me to cut what? Cut. I'm all set, right? They're like, no, that's good, right? Thought I wanted to follow Christ. After unpacking a little bit, I've decided to go a different direction. And so Paul and Barnabas, they're out here fighting for the other side. They're saying it's not necessary to first become a Jew and then become a Christian. And so all the major players of the early church, they come together for the Council of Jerusalem to settle this. And it's probably not surprising, it's the believers who have the religious roots, the deepest roots, the people who were Pharisees and then became Christ followers, who stand up to argue that the Gentiles must first fully convert to Judaism before they can then become Christ followers. And then Peter gets up next and he tells everyone about the account that we can find in Acts chapter 10 about how he was in that boat, but God opened his eyes to this new thing that he was doing. And he asked the council this great question. He said, why would we put a burden like this on Gentiles when none of us or our ancestors have been able to bear it? I love that. The whole reason that Jesus came is because bearing the weight of keeping the law on our own was too much. And now that's what we're going to require of other people who are just trying to give their lives to Jesus. And the assembly listens to both sides and they process all this, they take it in, they think about what God is doing and how it feels like Jesus didn't just come for the insiders, but he instead came to invite outsiders to follow him as well. And as this discussion is going on, James speaks up. Now James is one of the brothers of Jesus and he carried a particular weight in that day. And he talks about the evidence that they're seeing that God is at work in the lives of Gentiles, how they've seen it firsthand. And he references the Jewish scriptures, our Old Testament, when God said in Amos, the Gentiles will bear his name. And then he draws this conclusion in verse 15. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. James says, if people are trying to turn to God, why on earth would we complicate that invitation? That's a verse that's so simple, but it's so profound and powerful and crucial to the mission of the church. Andy Stanley's church, North Point Community Church, has that verse painted on the walls in their office. And the reminder for us and for the churches that truly desire to live out our calling the way that Jesus lived his life on earth is don't complicate the invitation to follow Jesus. We can't complicate it for people. Don't tell people either directly or indirectly, well, if you wanna follow Jesus, you're gonna have to stop swearing. You gotta move out, right? You gotta stop drinking. You're gonna have to stop smoking. You're gonna have to give 10% of your money to the church. Is that gross or net? No one knows. And tell them, hey, if you're, gonna, if you're gonna do this, you better have a Christian band as your number one band in your Spotify rap next year. You gotta get a sponsor kid on your fridge. You also, you need to find friends who also do not drink and smoke and swear, but do have sponsor kids on their fridge. 
You ought to attend church every weekend, even when there's youth sports tournaments, and you should go on a short-term missions trip to a desolate country. It's like proposing on the first date, right? And I'll tell you, there's enough people here, one of you is gonna be like, actually I did, and it worked out. And I get it, right, there's an exception. But overall, that wouldn't be the recommended procedure. So don't complicate the invitation to follow Jesus. Invite people to follow him, not to become immediately like him. And understand that who Jesus is and was and always will be is someone who came to seek and save the lost. Someone who came on a search and rescue mission, not a mission to build a comfortable, easy life for the already convinced and converted. It's who he is. It's why he came to earth the first time. And it's why we are trying to do the same thing to carry on his work until he returns to earth a second time. So what? What do we do with what we just heard? Well, if you are someone who is an insider here, I want you to know I'm not mad at you. I'm not, I love you guys. And one of the reasons that I love you so much is because you in large part get it. When I brag about this church, which I do all the time, I brag about a few things. I brag about how great our worship is, right? I brag about what an awesome staff it is, but I brag about having a core of the church that gets it, that understands it's not actually about us. I've been in churches that wanted to coddle insiders, and this isn't one of them. You get that in bring, build, and send, that bring comes first. And if we don't do that, nothing else that we do is gonna matter that much. But let's make sure that we're always steering the car away from that natural drift towards us, towards what's comfortable and easy and familiar for us, and towards what will reach new people. We'll reach people who aren't here yet, people who don't know Jesus yet, people who are broken and are struggling. Let's constantly be holding each other accountable to that. Let's make sure that we are inviting people to follow Jesus and we're doing it in a way that isn't complicating it. But for some of you here today, you feel like an outsider. And maybe you came in this morning and you thought it was a bad thing. You didn't know that it meant that this is who Jesus came for, that you are who Jesus came for. I want you to know this is all for you. This wasn't built. We didn't fill this. We didn't plan this for us. It was for you. And some of you, whether here or in another church or just by Christian friends, you've been made to feel like the invitation of Jesus is not for you because of some chapter in your life, some part of your background, your worst, your worst days, somebody said, hey, yeah, it's not gonna work out for you. I'm sure that some people here have been resisting beginning to follow Jesus because you feel like you don't have it all together enough, right? You got two or three things, I'm gonna get these things straight and then I'll start following Jesus. When all Jesus is asking for you to do is to follow him and see where it goes. And if that's you, I would be guilty of pastoral malpractice to not end this message by giving you an invitation because the invitation of Jesus is for you today. And it's easy. It is simple. We don't have to complicate it. Paul's letter to the church in Rome says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe with our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so in a moment, I'm going to close in prayer and I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray with me. It's something you can do right where you are. I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to ask you to come up front. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but you can pray it right there. And it's simple. We're going to admit that you're a sinner that needs to be saved. You're gonna believe that Jesus died for your sins and that he rose from the dead and you're gonna commit to follow him and to trust him 
wherever he leads. The invitation is for you today. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins on the cross and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and I invite you to take over my heart and my life. I want to follow you as my Lord and my Savior so that I can learn to trust you for the rest of my life here on earth. Thank you for new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you prayed that for the first time, like I said, I'm not gonna ask you to come down front. I am gonna ask you just to let us know. However that works for you, next steps on the app, coming up, talking to me or one of those staff members or pastors, or you can fill out the card and put it in the box. Just let us know so we can help you start this walk well. The next time we'll sing that will be Christmas Eve. So be, be working on your shoulder strength to keep that candle up for that five-minute song. Man, that doesn't get you going on the way out. I don't know what will. I want to give you a takeaway before you go. I said, Jesus never lost sight of the people who didn't know him yet. And the same thing will be true for any church who's truly following him. Let's make sure that is always true of us. Go today in the love of God and the grace of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Have a great week and we will see you next weekend. Thank you everyone for tuning in and being part of the Northgate podcast today. Your support and engagement have truly been incredible. If you like what you hear, then please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Northgate podcast. It's your enthusiasm and continued support that keeps us motivated and inspired to creating meaningful content that resonates with our listeners. So thanks again.